You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today, we are going to be talking about week three against the Denver Broncos, which is to say we're going to have a uh, post-draft look at the Denver Broncos, as well as, you know, comparing that to the post-draft look of the Green Bay Packers. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns about the Packers and their schedule, be sure to head over to Packernet.com where they have, we have, the most beautiful Packers schedule anywhere online. And I'm not just saying that, man. I really, really, really hate all the, you go to Packers.com or NFL, whatever. It's just, it, it's, I just can't give me the basic information, but it's beautiful because it's color-coded. It tells me what time the game is on, what date the game is on, what day the game is on, what channel the game is on, and finally what TV blackout regions are, you know, which doesn't really apply to me, but it would have if I was outside of Wisconsin, i.e. Minnesota, Chicago. For example, week three is Sunday, September 22nd, Denver Broncos at home, 12 o'clock p.m. Central Time, on Fox, with the Twin Cities in the blackout region. It's amazing to me that other websites can't just get that figured out. Even like the Google thing, you just type it in and it shows you stuff. It's like, yeah, but I don't, what, I, okay. So I hate to make it sound like it's the best by default because it's pretty sweet, but there's many layers of sweetness to it. Also, if you wouldn't mind turning your attention to the inside of your show description, uh, there is a link for merchandise, several links to support the channel, a link to join the Packernet Facebook group, a link for NFLBigBoard.com to get a jump on the 2020 draft, a link to a PFF subscription if you choose to do so, as well as a phone number to call or text if you'd like to ask a question or give your opinion about whatever Packers-related. 608-501-0718 is that phone number, 608-501-0718. Finally, as per always, we're slowly creeping up on that 200 reviews, but we're not quite there yet we got 26 more, and I'll be giving away a PFF Edge subscription if you'd like to get in on that, or more importantly, if you just want to help the show out, because iTunes still thinks my show is trash, for whatever reason. Just hates me. it got more iTunes reviews than just about, you know, pretty much all the other shows, the exception of a couple. And, uh, you know, I'm still below some shows that haven't posted an episode in four years, so I don't know. But we're going to keep grinding at it, man. If you wouldn't mind helping me out like uh, erotic dancer Green Bay did when he wrote a review or she wrote a review titled Erotic Dancer Green Bay, Pack Daddy Theme Song is My Jam. Thank you for that spectacular review. I'm sure anyone trying to decide which Packers podcast to listen to is going to see that review and say that's going to be the one I need. I <laughs> just, I love these. Just like uh, Deagall5280, just a rambling dude with a microphone. What a beautiful way to illustrate what this podcast is and always has and will be. I think I've realized that I am the Jimmy Buffett of Packers podcasters. I'm never going to be the the Ariana Grande, but I've got some rabid and crazy fans, and that's kind of cool. I kind of dig that. Like, if there was ever, like, a Packers podcast convention, you could probably, I could just sit up at the front of the stage and pick out, like, oh, that that one's mine over there. I, I I can pick out mine just from sitting here. I bet, I bet I could do that. Partially because I know what a lot of your faces look like, strangely enough. But beyond that, you're all, you're all pretty crazy. And I kind of dig it. Anyways, let's take a little break and we'll talk about week three against the Denver Broncos. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So first of all, I want to start with a little bit of an overview of their uh, free agent situation. In other words, similar to what I did yesterday, and if you haven't listened, I know I was late getting out the other episodes, so some people it's kind of, you know, early in the morning, 
Got a lot of podcasts to listen to. Don't really want to go back in time. The last couple podcasts are uh, pretty evergreen, so feel free to go ahead and listen to those if you wouldn't mind. It'd be greatly appreciated. Get yourself good and caught up. But as I said yesterday, I want to kind of start with 2018 because we have an understanding of what the 2018 Broncos are, and then just try to work from there. Did they get better? Did they get worse? Again, the exciting thing is we've so far looked at the Bears, who are a team that's gotten more than likely worse. The Vikings, who have gotten probably a little bit worse, maybe stayed the same, but eh. And all this while the Packers have gotten insanely better. Like I also said yesterday, even if 70% of the new additions we got are a complete bust, the team's still better. You know, New coach, new guards, new tight end, all new pass rushers from the draft to free agency, some interior guys, brand spanking new safeties, and quality ones, right? A, a, a top safety in the NFL and free agency, and then the top safety in the draft. So again, even if we miss on a bunch of these guys, just exponentially better than last year. Should be. So of their own guys, the only ones they were able to retain, with the exception of a, a couple of these guys um, down here that don't matter, they re-signed Zach Kerr, defensive end, quarterback Kevin Hogan, and tight end Jeff Howerman. They lost Shaquille Barrett, Tremaine Brock, Max Garcia, Matt Lacoste, tight end, Brandon Marshall, linebacker, Matt Paradise, Paradise, however you say it, one of the better centers in the NFL, cornerback Bradley Roby, who's incredibly good, wide receiver Jordan Taylor, and guard Billy Turner, as we probably are aware. They also have yet to sign linebacker Gerald Garcia-Williams, center Gino Gritkowski, linebacker DeAndre Mount, tight end Brian Parker, defensive tackle Demata Pecco, linebacker Shane Ray, cornerback Jamar Taylor, and offensive tackle Jared Valdir. That's a lot of bodies, man. That's a lot of bodies. So I want to go through it just kind of briefly, just because not all human beings are created equal. And some of these, it just, you know, Broncos fans, if they were listening, would be ripping their hair out, acting like, you know, I mean, Max Garcia was literally the worst player that they had on their offense. So I'm sure they're not super upset that he's gone, but still. So going through the defense, if you've been listening long enough and have a good enough memory, you probably remember me saying Shaquille Barrett was toward the top of the list of guys that I really wanted the Packers to invest in. He didn't have a lot of snaps because he was behind, you know, a a early first-round pick in Von Miller, but he plays in a similar scheme, graded out very well, was top 10 on their defense despite only playing 276 snaps, excelled against uh, the run and was also uh, graded decently as a pass rusher. Wasn't very good in coverage or tackling, but whatever, I'll take that. And he ended up with a 10.2 pressure rating or pressure percentage, which isn't as high as the guys we got, but he would have come significantly cheaper. For reference, he signed a one-year $4 million contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's 26 years old. I'm still a little upset we didn't take a flyer on him. But I guess I can't be too upset that the, that Brian Gutekunst went out and got two better pass rushers and then drafted a better pass rusher. I guess he just took it a little bit more seriously than I would have. Which kind of falls in line with what I said about him being just manic about wanting pass rushers. I said I wouldn't have touched Khalil Mack for his value. Gutekunst tried to get him and by all accounts would have gotten him if the if the Oakland Raiders would have just said yes. To his offer that I believe was actually better than the Bears offer, which is crazy, and I'm glad that Gutekunst didn't get his way. Not happy at all that the Bears did get their way, although it seems to be ruining their roster, so I guess I'm happy with it. So it's it's a bit of a loss to the Denver Broncos, at least as far as depth, but they've got a lot of bodies, and I I guess they're just kind of assuming somebody else is going to end up stepping up. Beyond that, though, they just probably don't care because they have Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, and they're not going to throw a bunch of money at a, you know, one of about eight pass rushers we have on this team, you know, eight backups. Uh, cornerback Tremaine Brock is not really much of a loss. I mean, it is depth, but he wasn't a very good football player. They have Kareem Jackson, Chris Harris Jr., and Bryce Callahan. That is an incredibly good group. It's kind of a wait and see with Kareem Jackson because he kind of had a good year kind of out of nowhere, but with uh, Vic Fangio coming over, I have a hard time believing that he's just going to fall off. And then Bryce Callahan coming over from the Bears. It's going to be a very good cornerback group. That's going to be a problem for the Packers, no question about it. I mean, the defense in general is going to be problematic. This is going to be a really big test of what our offense can do. Because again, as I said yesterday, we have a defensive coordinator that understands the Packers. I know it's a different scheme and all that stuff, but you still study the players to a large extent. He's been studying Aaron Rodgers extensively. He knows Aaron Jones. He knows at least three-fifths of our offensive line. 
He studied our wide receivers, right? He, he knows a lot of these guys. And as far as how to match up against the Green Bay Packers, he's got a little bit of a head start at least. So he did lose a corner, but um, not a massive loss. Zach Kerr was a decent player, but it would be kind of like us losing, you know, one of our lower tier kind of guys. He had a decent year, but they, they're, they're, they're about as stacked along the defensive line as we are. Shelby Harris is a guy that uh, definitely not talked about very much, but 2014-2015, he was decent. Those were his first years. 2017, he took a big leap in year three. 2018, he had an elite grade along that defensive line. Could it be a fluke? It could be, but I'm just, you know, you just kind of look at that trajectory. That's It's a normal thing when you got two years where you're just kind of figuring out. Number three, Year three, you kind of break out, and then year four, you jump into elite. I mean, he could he could fall off, but it, it just seems like a, a pretty clean ascension. Um, similar to Kenny Clark, not as good, but similarly better against the run, but still decent against the pass. And the, everybody that backs him up is just solid. Not elite, but solid. So again, it's it's depth, but you're probably not too worried about it. Uh, Bradley Roby leaving, pretty similar situation. I think the biggest issue with the Denver Broncos, the fact is they have, it's similar to the Bears, actually, they have three really good starting guys. you got Chris Harris and Kareem Jackson on the outside. you got Bryce Callahan as your slot guy. That's a great trio. If you lose anybody, though, your backup depth is kind of trash, at least as far as we know. I don't know if there's somebody that they think is going to break out, but I know they drafted uh, Isaac Yadom from last year. He was not very good. Jamar Taylor is not very good. I don't know who exactly they think is going to break out, but if they lose a corner, they're in a little bit of trouble. Demata Pecco along the defensive line, again, is depth. I think the good thing about losing, you know, Zach Kerr and Demata Pecco, despite having some guys, and they did draft Draymond Jones, I, I just, I don't think they quite have the depth that the Packers do. And it's also a different kind of depth. Because you, when you got your one guy, and we're talking about pass rush more or less, Demarcus Walker maybe, but when you got your one guy that can rush the passer, basically when Shelby Harris comes off, and he's going to have to come off, He's a smaller guy, so maybe he can hang in for a little bit longer. But when he comes off, that's just an opportunity for the Packers to do whatever they want. And then losing several guys, even though they're not top tier necessarily, there's several guys, one of whom is a veteran. The, the quality of that defensive front falls off. I don't know if we're going to notice it all that much with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb on the team, but the interior of that defensive front kind of softens a little bit. I think the biggest loss, though, has to be along the offensive line. They did draft Dalton Reisner, which could be pretty huge. It looks like, if I'm not mistaken, and it's a little bit surprising, but I think they're going to put him at guard. I don't know that for sure. I'm not sure if they even know that. But I know they drafted Garrett Bowles. He's doing okay as a left tackle. They got Juwan James at right tackle. Maybe they'll kind of move somebody else around. Maybe James will come inside and Reisner will go outside. I don't really know. Garrett Bowles, I'm sure, is going to stay where he's at. But the fact of the matter is the two highest-graded pass blockers they had on their entire team were center Gino Gradkowski and Matt Paradis. Two centers, both the number one pass blocking guys, both of them are gone. They are, I believe, being replaced by Connor McGovern. Connor McGovern was a guard and had the second lowest, third lowest uh, pass blocking grade of anybody on the team. R- relatively decent run blocker, horrific pass blocker. That's, that's painful for the Denver Broncos, especially when you factor in the position switch, because if he was garbage as a guard, I don't know that he gets much better moving into center. Uh, their left guard last year was Max Garcia. He's being replaced by Ronald Leary. I don't know that that's necessarily a downgrade because Ronald, Ronald Leary wasn't very good, but it's still not a great thing to lose your left guard and your center and your backup center. And of course, they lost Billy Turner, who wasn't a starter, but was sort of that young and ascending guy that probably would have been playing as a starter this year had the Packers not taken him, considering the losses that they had. Losing two centers and a guard uh, Billy Turner is a better football player than you have with Ronald Leary. So he probably would have slid right in at left guard, possibly right guard, I don't know. But it would have been a better situation, but the Packers stole him away. Might actually have something to do with why the Packers paid as much as they did. Not necessarily because they don't think it was a good value, because you just don't pay it if it's not a good value. But the reason you have to pay that much is because the Denver Broncos were probably sitting there with a big fat check saying, okay, your turn, here's your money. And the Packers are like, eh, how about you come play for us for even more money? which is also why I fully expect, as I'm sure you do as well, him to start day one. But like I said yesterday, I I really don't care about, I mean, I do care very much about the money and I hope he can win the starting job. But if he's not the best guy, just don't, just don't do it. Just let the GM be wrong. It's it's fine. Just please don't play him if he's not very good. But anyways, that's the, uh, the general idea of the guys that they lost. 
I pretty much mentioned all the people that they added already. Bryce Callahan is going to be a very good corner. They added Kareem Jackson from the Houston Texans, who I said was a very good corner. So basically, they had one older kind of guy. They went out and just, they grabbed three, actually. They got five guys that they added to the team, one of whom is a kicker. I don't even know if he's going to be the kicker, but they added Taylor Bertolet. Bertolet? I'm going to go with Bertolet, because, you know, French and all that. But Bryce Callahan, Kareem Jackson, very good additions. Actually, Kareem Jackson was kind of a, a, a hot ticket item from the Houston Texans. And then Juwan, Thames, the, Juwan James, the right tackle from the Miami Dolphins, they added uh, to try to stop the bleeding on this offensive line a little bit. Otherwise, obviously, they added Joe Flacco as well as Dakota Watson. They got in a trade. Obviously, one means more than the other. Dakota Watson probably won't play all that much. Joe Flacco is going to be the starting quarterback of this football team. Unless, of course, Drew Locke slash Brett Rippian kind of tear it up. I don't know. I mean, supposedly the Broncos really like Drew Locke, so maybe that is the way they're going to go. But I would guess in week three we're going up against Joe Flacco. Either way, though, as I've said in the past, it's a good situation, like I said last year. It's good if you face Joe Flacco because, you know, I mean, he's, he's a veteran quarterback, but he's just not that great. I'll give him a little bit more credit than most will. Um, but if he loses his job, then you're going up against a brand spanking new quarterback and that is a fantastic situation because although he is athletically and the arm talent is going to be a lot better than Joe Flacco, the mental part of it is going to be it, he can't even touch what Joe Flacco knows and does. And to have a guy like Mike Patton with a fully stocked toolbox able to confuse and disrupt a guy like Drew Locke or whoever it is that wins that job in week three, I'll say it again, much better situation that Joe Flacco loses the job. He might scare us a little bit with a couple beautiful passes, uh, especially when you start looking at, and we haven't talked about the, the draft additions yet. Well, a little bit we have. But they also added Noah Fant. You, you know, a couple beautiful passes to Noah Fant. You're looking at it going, oh, man, this is not good. But I would trust uh, the the mind of Mike Pettin to, uh, you know, be able to overcome the mind of Drew Locke, who's fresh out of college. But um, a pretty solid draft. There was rumors that they really wanted Drew Locke, but they did not take Drew Locke. They got Noah Fant. Now, I don't necessarily, I'm not the biggest Noah Fant fan, but I do like it because it's a good addition to the team. They needed another receiver. They got Noah Fant, who I, you know, I just like tight ends in general for, I don't know, I guess we'll call it struggling quarterbacks, and I don't mind calling Flacco a struggling quarterback, but especially for young quarterbacks as sort of that relief valve. But uh, he's he's a legitimate wide receiver threat, not just a little dump-off guy. And then getting Dalton Reisner in the second round, and then the very next pick getting Drew Locke, the quarterback, who's the guy that apparently um, uh, apparently John Elway really liked. Then in the third round to get Draymond. Um, Draymond I was really, really high on at first. I kind of fell off a little bit. Uh, supposedly very one-dimensional, but as far as being a good pass rusher, that's sort of his whole thing. So they might get a little bit of a boost, a pass rush, as far as their defensive line rotation. Uh, again, week three is a little bit early, so I don't know how involved he's going to be, but he'll be there, and I'm sure we'll we'll get to see him a little bit. But I trust our offensive line against a third-round uh, defensive tackle. And then uh, Justin Hollins at linebacker and uh, Juwan Winfrey in the fifth and sixth round, respectively, prospectively respectedly. Uh, Jawan Winfrey is a wide receiver out of Colorado. As far as Brett Rippian, because I know you heard me say his name, undrafted free agent. So that's kind of kind of cool that they got him as an undrafted free agent. Again, he's probably not going to be the guy, but, um, you know, at least take a look at him. So anyways, that's a general overview of how we got to today. We'll take a little break and then we'll look at uh, their offense versus our defense and see kind of what we're up against here. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so looking at their offense, 
it's kind of hard to get a gauge because there's a lot of, of new, and it's, I guess, similar to the Packers in that way. They did add a brand spanking new quarterback, but I really don't know if they upgraded at cornerback. Case Keenum isn't a great quarterback, but neither is Joe Flacco. I would say they're kind of actually on the same plane. It's actually pretty similar to the Minnesota Vikings when they added their quarterback, and it's like, oh, we got a brand new quarterback, and it's like, I honestly don't know if this is an upgrade or not. I would say that you kind of just stay the same, just paid a lot more money. Ironically, we're talking about the same guy here because it was Case Keenum in both situations. Strangely enough, um, even though he did decline with the Denver Broncos, his grade, Case Keenum's grade in Minnesota, is actually higher than Kirk Cousins' grade was this past year with Minnesota. Case kind of tore it up, man. But anyways, doesn't matter uh, how well he plays, he just can't seem to hold down a job. But they're kind of hard to get a grasp on because they've got an offensive line that seemingly is worse, but I'm not entirely sure, for a couple reasons. Number one, it's very different. And number two, there's a lot of youth. Again, similar to the Packers in that way. Garrett Bowles, who they drafted in 2018, is going into his second year. He was a first-round draft pick. It was seemingly kind of early, but they liked him. And for a left tackle to come in year one and do kind of okay, that's a pretty good sign. That's not an easy job to just come in and be like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty good. Actually, I lied. It was two years ago. Uh, again, we've got Dalton Reisner. Juwan James has been around for a little while. But it's still a new team. You're not entirely sure what to gauge here. And then again, you've got Leary and McGovern, who've been around, but they're both in different situations. That should be a massive downgrade. Again, we, we lost our two best pass rushers, and we added McGovern, who was one of our, our worst pass, ru- or, uh, pass rushers. My, I need to take a minute here. The words are not... not. I, I finished my coffee, and my brain's like, nope, I'm refusing to work until you refill that. Not having three cups of coffee, man. Just keep talking. Get out of my face. Maybe I'll have three. I don't know. It's a Monday. I can have three. Pass blockers. Two best pass blockers replaced by one of our worst. But then also you've got um, Emmanuel Sanders, who I still think is a very good wide receiver. It's just, you know, the offense continues to get worse, so you don't really see him as much. But still a good wide receiver. The other two wide receivers, similar to the Packers, were first-year guys that were kind of mediocre, but the expectation should be that they're getting better. How much better? Is it going to be possibly worse? Are they going to be breakout crazy awesome? I have no idea. And then, of course, they added Noah Fant. Huge question mark. Is he just going to be a freak and we got to assign, you know, our, our nickel safety? Do we have to put Savage on him? I mean, what, what do we have to do to lock this guy down? Or is he just kind of going to kind of be a bust? Because, again, if all he is is a wide receiver, basically all he is is a tall and slow wide receiver. Because as, as lightning fast as he is for a uh, tight end, He's pretty slow as a wide receiver, right? He ran a 4-5. I think Adams and, and Geronimo maybe are the only guys slower than that on our entire team, and not by much. So it's not like, ooh, man, we better put some speed on him. No, we'll be all right. I mean, can he outrun Blake Martinez? Yeah, probably. Can Oren Burks hang with him? I think so. Can pretty much any one of our safeties run with him? Yes. So, again, he's got to be more than just a really electrifyingly fast tight end because he's just not. Right, he's got to be a very good route runner. He's got to be a very intelligent football player. He's got to be on the same page with Joe Flacco by week three. He's got to be able to do all those extra things that tight ends do because super crazy athletic compared to other tight ends just isn't good enough. And that was sort of my problem with Noah Fant all along. I get that on paper he's kind of athletic, but when I watched him play, he just looked like a tight end. He's just a guy out there who was not getting very many targets because, you know, the other tight end was getting them all. And then, as I also mentioned, if you look at my spreadsheet that I made, he was like number five on my list. I think Jay Sternberger was actually higher than Noah Fant was and was graded as a better receiver. I think Noah Fant by PFF was graded as like the fifth or sixth highest graded receiver uh, in college football, which is good. But I mean, it's, you know, comparatively what you expect from Fant, who's seen as like the elite wide receiver of the class. Eh, I don't know. I didn't see it. PFF didn't necessarily see it. I'm not super scared of Noah Fant is all I'm saying. Now, assuming Joe Flacco is going to be the quarterback, and I do, if only because it's early, you know, if we're talking about late in the season, who do I expect to be the quarterback? I don't know, but I don't have to care. After week three, unless we see them in the Super Bowl, I don't have to worry about them for a very long time. But the thing with Flacco is he's super inconsistent. If you just look at what he did last year, he started the season week one against Buffalo. His overall grade was an 86.4, basically elite. Week two against Cincinnati, horrific. Week three against Denver, elite. Week four against Pittsburgh, very good game. After that, he was average, and then he kind of fell off. Weeks eight and nine, it was just kind of getting kind of borderline ugly, and then he lost his job. 
The same thing is kind of true in 2017. So if you look at his overall grades, just, you know, season-ending grades, he's always been kind of, you know, 60s and 70s, kind of average to to kind of good. But if you break that down into weeks, um, you, you've got basically some very, very, very good games. You know, 2017, week two, week five, week 13, really good games. Weeks one, three, four, six, seven, uh, 14 were trash. And then pretty much 8 through 17. So it, seemingly by the end of the year, he kind of just tails off, with the exception of week 13. He kind of just gets into his, his groove where he's not terrible anymore, but he's not elite. He's just kind of meh. So it's it's kind of scary because you just don't want to hit him on a good day, I guess. Here's the other interesting thing about Joe Flacco, though, and this is going to be important going forward, and I, I should have done this yesterday. But if the Packers are able to generate the kind of pressure that I hope and believe we can, there's a very distinct difference between Joe Flacco with no pressure and Joe Flacco under pressure. Joe Flacco, with no pressure, has a 68.9 completion percentage, and this is for last year, 2,460 yards, 5.8 average, 16 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, still kind of a lot. NFL passer rating of 87.6, actually adjusted downward, which is rare. If His adjusted, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's his completion percentage. Adjusted completion percentage is 77.3. Had a PFF grade of 80.3, which is just in that very good category. His stats under pressure... He completed 48.4% of his passes, less than 50%, for 681 yards, which is 5.3 average. Two touchdowns, four interceptions, 56.8 passer rating, adjusted completion percentage of 66.7, PFF grade of 41. So 60 is average, 50s are in below average, 40s are in kind of that trash territory. So Joe Flacco cannot handle pressure. But he's a very good, I mean, if if you just leave him alone, he's just going to sit there and probably pick you apart. Now he's still, again, um... 5.8 5.8 yards per attempt, kind of dink and dunk nonsense. Nine interceptions on 16 touchdowns is still kind of a lot, considering he only played half a year, and we're just talking about time when he had no pressure whatsoever to have nine interceptions. That's kind of ridiculous. But despite a couple bad throws, he's, he's probably just going to sit there and pick you apart, and he's got plenty of weapons to do it, so we've got to generate pressure. But if we can get consistent pressure, I think we're going to mess up Joe Flacco real bad. I think that's going to be the key, and I think if he has constant pressure in his face, I mean, he's he's one of the worst quarterbacks. I mean, a, a 41 overall grade is just pathetic. I mean, to, to try to put that in context, some people that had 41 overall grades, uh, let's see, Scott Tolzien, he had a 25. Uh, A.J. McCarron had a 37. Nathan Peterman, 37.7. Um, let's see, Matt Castle with Tennessee had a 42.2. Paxton Lynch, 43.3. So when he's under pressure, he's Nathan Peterman slash Matt Castle slash Paxton Lynch. That's what we're going up against when he's under pressure. We got to get this man under some pressure. And again, with their their losses along the interior, Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, we got to get some some pressure there. But even the outside guys, as, as above average, or I guess, yeah, slightly above average as Garrett Bowles and Juwan James are, the guys that we have need to be able to get pressure. If, if you can't beat mediocre tackles, we're in a little bit more trouble than, than we should be. Between the two Smiths and um, and Gary and, and Fackrell, I mean, you know, Fackrell's, he's got a role. Is he ever going to be as good as he was? No, because, first of all, the conversion, the, the sack rate conversion is ridiculously high. But beyond that, he shouldn't be on the field nearly as much with the guys that we have. But if they've got some, some flat-footed, slow... Um, tackles, then I would put Kyler Fackrell out there and just say, just do what you do, man. Just run around him because that's, that's his, he's a, he's a speedy guy. And if, you know, if, if, if the whole thing is just burn around him and we've got a, a, a new outside linebacker coach, not new. I mean, we just have one now, which again, for the billionth time, I think is ridiculous. We didn't to have, to not have a guy that's just dedicated to one of the most important positions on your entire team, your edge rushers is just an absolute abdication of responsibility in my opinion. But anyways, we've got one now, and seemingly he's very good at his job, and he'll be able to analyze the, the right personnel and the right situations and all that kind of stuff. So we've, we've got plenty to attack their quarterback, Mr. Matt, Fl- or, uh, Matt Flacco. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Joseph Flacco. And again, that's going to be really important, so I expect the Packers to be bringing it. And again, it's nice because with all these guys that we've added, even though we don't have the elite guy, we've got a lot of bodies, so it's just going to be constant. Even when we're rotating, we're, we're still bringing it, we're bringing it, we're bringing it all the time. Just waves and waves and waves of pressure coming from every single direction. Because again, we're not 
going out and getting that one guy like Khalil Mack. We're getting a bunch of good pass rushers. No elite pass rushers pending Sean Gary, but a bunch of good pass rushers So from every direction. You don't know where to bring the extra help. You know, if you you got a running back staying back, okay, what's he going to do? You're going to key in on Gary? What about Clark? What about Daniels? What about uh, Zadarius? What about Preston? What, you know? Pick your poison, man. It, it's probably you're probably picking wrong, just statistically speaking. So that's gonna be that's gonna be key, and that's 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 what the Packers want. That's what the Packers need. That's what the Packers expect. That's what that's number one on the priority list of Brian Gutekunst was to make sure that we had a defense that could do that. These are the guys that are expected to do it, and if they can, Joe Flacco is just gonna have a really really bad day. Uh, beyond that, though, I I really think. I don't know this, but considering they've got their defensive-minded head coach now, you know, ground and pound and grind it out on defense wouldn't be super surprising, especially since they have a very good running back in Phillip Lindsay, kind of just, I can't call it breaking out because it was his first year, but a really, really phenomenal running back. Uh, the good news is he's not much of a receiver. He's just a very, very good runner, which just helps because it's, you know, when he's in, you got a pretty good idea of what it is you need to do. But this is a situation where you need guys, and, and listen, this is another reason why what we've done is awesome. Because we got a bunch of guys that aren't just strictly pass rushers, right? We didn't go out and get um, D Ford and then draft Brian Burns to where it's like, all right, we got some good pass rushers, but I don't know what they can do against the run. No, all these guys are just thick, heavy, mean, violent, mess up your run game type guys, just disruptive. So not only do I trust them to get consistent pressure from everywhere, I trust them at every point along this defensive line to be able to help against the run. So with a team that I expect to be running the ball a good amount, with a suspect offensive line, you know, again, Connor McGovern, if he's good at anything, it's run blocking. Juwan James isn't a terrible run blocker. Garrett Bowles, obviously, as a left tackle, is a better pass blocker than run blocker, but he's pretty much every one of these guys is an average run blocker, which is pretty consistent with the rest of the league. But there's no real studs along this offensive line where it's like, man, this guy's just a road grader. we got to watch out. And considering our defensive line and who it is that they're going up against, I can say that we have a few studs. I can't say that they do, but I can say that we do. Kenny Clark has an elite run defense grade, 90.2. Dean Lowry, 80.1. Tyler Lancaster, 75.6. Zadarius, 78.7. So we got some guys that are above average, good, very good, elite against the run. Rashawn Gary, I expect to be a step up. And again, remember, as much as these guys aren't maybe super elite, what are they compared to Nick Perry and Clay Matthews? Let's keep it in the proper context and understand we we weren't, well, we weren't super great last year. It wasn't the worst thing in the world. Two years ago, those guys were very, very good, and we just upgraded everybody. So overall, I just trust I trust that we'll be able to manage it. And again, if, if the best thing they can do is run the ball and they're struggling to pass, we already won. Because when we're playing September football where the the you know the, the scores are kind of getting run up a little bit, if the best thing you can do is take five, six-yard chunks and we're having a hard time stopping that, I just don't see how a Joe Flacco-led offense with Vic Fangio as a head coach is going to be able to run the ball to a win. you got to throw the football. Unless our offense just can't do anything against their defense and gets completely shut down, running the football isn't going to be good enough. And again, I do trust that we'll be all right. Uh, you know, again, I mentioned they, they've got their tight end Howerman, and then now they added Fant. They've got uh, Cortland Sutton. They've got Sanders, who I still think is a good wide receiver. They got Deshaun Hamilton. Um, you know, we'll we'll see what these guys can do. But I trust Jair Alexander to be able to play man on man with Sanders. I think given how mediocre these other wide receivers are, even if they take, if, if I'm going to give them credit to, okay, they're going to take a step because they were, you know, somewhat earlier round guys, then I have to give Jackson and King and the rest of our guys that, that same amount of leeway that they're going to be able to step up. And even if they can't necessarily, they're good enough with the safeties that we have, with the pressure that's going to be coming. I just, I'm not super scared of their pass game. The one thing that maybe they could do well is run the ball. But another thing to, to, keep in mind is that with a better front that's going to help free up your linebackers to just clean up so and and that especially helps see Blake Martinez is just a a solid linebacker in that regardless of the situation he'll try to do his best to make it work you know shedding blocks and doing all that kind of stuff smart football Oren Burks and again maybe he's just going to get better over the year but even if he doesn't keeping him clean is going to be the most important thing as far as helping him to progress he's a speed guy if, if, he, if his job is to try to shed blocks, he already lost. Keep him clean, 
keep guys off of him and let him just flow and, and run everywhere he needs to go. As long as nobody's there to, to completely get up to the next level and, and block him out, he should, he should just be able to, to run as fast as he can to go make a play. And if he's allowed to do that, I think we could have a real, a real solid contributor in Oren Burks. And again, adding the guys that we added up front is going to be able to help that. It's going to help Martinez, but it's really going to help a guy like Oren Burks. Just let him run to the guy with the ball. So yeah, I, I think our defense is is a lot better. You know, if, if I'm the Denver Broncos, uh, the biggest thing I'm going to want to do is just run the ball and get the ball out quick, which is tough to do when you're playing a, a defense like Mike Pettin's because what kind of a defense is it? It's a press man defense. So you got to kind of wait for Alexander to punch Sanders in the mouth and then try to get around Alexander and then try to get running his route. I mean, it, by the time he's able to kind of get where he needs to be, which the rhythm is already messed up as soon as the guy gets jammed at the line. So you, it, it takes longer, right? We Okay, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We got to get the ball out quick, right? That's the whole point of this thing. It could already be over. I mean, it, not over as far as somebody's already sacked him, but, you know, there's already pressure. I, I got to get out of my spot. And if he's moving, he's not completing a pass, right? Sanders is just coming open, but, oh, shoot, got to roll a little bit because somebody's, somebody's sneaking up on me. So that's a tough way to play unless you're just throwing behind the line of scrimmage. But I don't really see this offense being that kind of, you know, modern, new age, motion, all that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't expect to see a whole lot of jet sweeps and whatever else, but I don't know. I think it's just going to be a, a smash mouth kind of game. And I, I think this Packers team is ready for that. I, th- I think they're, they're hungry for that. In fact, I think, I think if you get Vic Fangio to say, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to outman these guys. We're just going to, we're just going to play violent football. I think this defense is just going to smile because that's what they want. I think you get a guy like Zadarius Smith, you get a guy like Rashawn Gary, you get a guy like Preston Smith and Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, and you get this offensive line to step toe-to-toe with them and say, we're going to play smash-mouth football. Yeah, ear-to-ear grins, man. Please, please try to hit me in my mouth. Blake Martinez, uh, Jair Alexander, Smash Amos, Darnell Savage. I mean, these guys, they seem to get a kick out of that kind of stuff. I think they like the physicality. So I'm, I'm excited. It could be, never really know how these games are going to go, but I, I could see that being an absolute slugfest. But anyways, we'll take a little break and uh, talk about their defense versus our offense and see where we stand, and then we'll call it. So the defense is where things get complicated, and this is really going to be the, the area in which we win or lose. If the Packers' offense is what we hope it's going to be, which we don't have to go back very far to see what a good Packers' offense is. Last year was terrible. Two years ago, Aaron Rodgers was out with an injury. Prior to that injury, however, I think the offense looked pretty good. If this offense is the offense that we've come to know and love, which is largely still here, it's Devontae Adams, it's Aaron Rodgers, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Brian Balaga, Aaron Jones. If these guys are still a very, very good offense, if LaFleur can help this become, once again, a very good offense, if these wide receivers can take a big enough step to make this a very good offense, if the tight ends can contribute enough to make this a very good offense, I'm talking top 10 offense, minimum. I mean, if you're not top 10, you're not very good. You're just kind of mediocre. There should be an expectation because that's what makes this team go. The defense is going to make the difference between a championship and another perennial, you know, NFC champion, uh, you know, playoff berth, but not getting any further kind of thing. Defense is going to be very important. It's going to help win football games. It's definitely going to help down the stretch. But the heart of this team is Aaron Rodgers and the offense. And this is the kind of situation where we need to come in and go, oh, pretty good defense here. What are you going to do? And it doesn't matter because the Packers are just going to dominate. Historically, what would happen is the Packers offense could beat just about anybody, but the Packers defense allowed the other team to keep pace. So it, it just, it was problematic in that way. But this is going to be, as the, the prior two weeks were, a challenge of our offense. And really, that's going to be a big theme early on. We, we've got the schedule set up in a, a positive way in which we get a lot of early home games. That should help us stack up a couple wins, build up some confidence, get that locker room jacked up, get Lafleur comfortable and the coaches comfortable, and just kind of get this thing rolling. But you got to get wins. And if we're not going to get any wins if the offense isn't able to beat the Bears defense, the Minnesota Vikings defense, and the Denver Broncos defense. If the offense isn't clicking, we could start the season 0-3. So I've already said our defense should be able to handle Joe Flacco and um, Vic Fangio's offense. Just saying that makes me want to roll my eyes. Like, what in the world is that? Granted, it's not really a Vic Fangio offense. I just like to say that because you get a defensive coordinator, head coach, you don't usually respect the offense unless you're Bill Belichick. Well, there's a couple, but whatever. 
modern-day football, that's usually not the case. It's Rich Scangarello's offense, which, boy, oh boy, am I scared of that. But it's going to be a tough test. As I said, they've got three really good corners. So Devontae Adams, who's a very good wide receiver, is going up against Chris Harris Jr., more than likely, who was graded as the third best corner in the NFL last year. He's never really had a bad year in his entire career. His worst year was his rookie year when he was graded by PFF as good, 73.3. He's had three elite years since then in 2011, and last year was a very good year, 86.1. Not quite elite, but really, really good. He's solid, and there's no reason to expect any less. And Bryce Callahan, um, you know, very, very good corner. He's got that sort of natural progression, two kind of mediocre, not great years, his breakout third year, and then fourth year he just gets even better. And with Vic Fangio still as his coach, there's no reason to expect anything less than that. Looks like they got Kareem Jackson at safety. Maybe that's what they're doing. How did I get that messed up? I don't know. We'll have to see where they play him. Our lads has him as a corner. He was a corner with the Texans. PFF seems to think he's going to be a safety. I don't know if they just don't know what they're talking about or what. But if that's the case, they've got three good corners, as I said. That's problematic because Adams is going to have a hard time with Harris. So this is a situation where you've got to have other guys that can step up. It's going to be hard to run the ball against this defense when you got Von Miller, you got Bradley Chubb, you've got Shelby Harris, who again is a very, very good nose tackle. Both Miller and Chubb can handle the run as well. They don't exactly have elite linebackers or a very good strong safety, but that front is still pretty scary. So they've got the corners to be able to slow down the pass. They've got the, the, you know, the, the guys up front to be able to stifle the run. So what exactly do you do? Well, hopefully you're, as I said, better. Can we run against this? If we can't, then you know there's a lot of teams we can't run against. Can our wide receivers get open against this quality of cornerbacks? I hope so, because there's other teams that have good corners. And then more specifically, it's going to come down to the tight ends. Because this is a situation where a very good tight end is going to really hurt this team. Because again, their linebackers and their strong safety, not so good. And their free safety, if it's not going to be uh, Kareem Jackson, I'm not even sure who it is. Uh, Justin Simmons is who our lad seems to think it's going to be. That is, or was their strong safety, and not very good. So they don't have very good safeties, period. They don't have super great linebackers. This is a great opportunity for some of these tight ends to create problems for the Denver Broncos. Now, they're they're starting linebackers, Todd Davis and Josie Jewell, as adequate as they are against the run. Neither of them have any ability in coverage. If they decide to swap somebody out and put in Joe Jones, who is a little bit better of a linebacker in terms of his abilities and coverage, well, that makes them a little bit lighter, meaning we should be able to run the ball against them. Again, it just comes back to how good is this offense really. Do we really believe they're back to being a top 10, possibly top 5 offense? If so, I'm not worried about it. If we're still struggling, if the, if the wide receivers and Aaron Rodgers are still not on the same page, and Aaron Rodgers is still doing this routine where he scrambles around, and he's running around, and he throws the ball away, we're, we're in a lot of trouble here. And this is a situation where you hope you can just kick enough field goals to get more points, and our defense can hold their offense in check. But I'm, I'm severely concerned if that's the case and hopeful that the, the Packers offense can get going and LaFleur can figure out something better because it, as, as adequate and you know as many uh, playmakers as Denver has on their defense, again, lots of teams have very, very good defenses that we're going to have to be able to overcome if we're going to not only um, get to the playoffs but get through the playoffs. It's about defense, but you got to have some kind of an offense. And again, the, the, the Broncos, they've got some stuff going for them. But we should be able to run against them. We should be able to throw the ball against them. We should be able to scheme, especially if we're going to go scheme heavy with, with, you know, mediocre interior guys. Chubb, you know, he had a ton of sacks, but I think that was almost entirely because of Von Miller being on this side. I saw a highlight reel of him in which, like, half of the sacks I saw were guys running from Von Miller and Chubb smacking him in the face. Outside of Von Miller, I don't know that they have anyone that's really good against the run, including Bradley Chubb. You know, there are interior guys that are good against the run. Well, Shelby Harris, as I said, Derek Wolf is pretty good, and Demata Pecco, who's gone. And again, they added Draymond, but I don't think he's going to help against the run at all. So we should be able to get some yards on the ground, especially with our outside zone. If we're running the opposite direction of Von Miller, who is it we're scared of out there? Is their nose tackle going to be able to get laterally and, and get running sideline to sideline to be able to make a tackle? I mean, if we're running right between the center and guard, Yeah, that's problematic, but that's not really what we're going to be doing a lot of. We're going to be getting out in space, and we're going to be challenging the outside linebackers and the inside linebackers who are trying to get out laterally to that spot. And we should be able to win that because, again, they're not very good in those areas. Bradley Chubb and Josie Jewell shouldn't be able to to lock that down very well. 
So this part of it is a question mark. I'm, I'm much more confident about our defense against their offense. Similar situation where if we can't stop this offense, especially at home, terrified, beyond terrified. This is a subpar offense. But if our, you know, on the flip side, if our defense can, you know, bring those waves of pressure and, and really frustrate their offense and keep them from scoring points, and our offense can overcome, again, the Bears, the Vikings, and the Denver Broncos, we have every reason to be extremely excited because we're not only going to win the division, we're going to be in the playoffs and have a very good opportunity, probably our best opportunity since 2010. Because again, the thing that's been missing, despite having you know wildly better offenses at times, presumably like in 2011, the thing that was missing in 11 and 12 and 13, 14, 15, and not beyond was the defense. So as I've said consistently and will continue to say, I'm just really excited to see what we get because I just don't know. The potential of this offense is top five. The potential of the defense is, I don't know. I'll say top 10 to try not to sound too biased, but there's no reason they can't be if if, if everybody reaches their potential. And, and really, what are we talking about? I know top five sounds impossible, but who are the teams that are guaranteed better than the Packers if these guys can meet their potential? And how many of those guaranteed teams are, are kind of moving backwards? You know, the, Look at the Jaguars in 2017, by far the best defense. They dropped to eight in one year. They were the eighth best. You know, Minnesota Vikings were freakish. They dropped to ninth. They went from fourth to ninth. The Eagles stayed in, but barely. They went from 2nd to 5th. The Chargers went from 3rd to 17th. And the Falcons went from 5th to 25th. So, crazy stuff happens, man. The Patriots in 2017, believe it or not, were graded as the 23rd best defense. 23rd. In 2018, they were graded as the 2nd best defense. Again, why can't the Packers jump up into the top 5 if they made good free agent acquisitions, if they drafted well enough? If their second-year guys can really take a step, explain to me why it's impossible for the Packers to jump from 24th to 5th. Brand new outside linebackers, a revamped interior, which, by the way, was all injured last year, a bunch of second-year corners, brand new safeties, a second-year linebacker who was drafted in the third round. Why can't they be better? I mean, the, the Texans were third on defense last year, and I've already made the case for why the Packers' defense is and probably will be better than the Houston Texans. The Rams were fourth. Do we need to talk about how garbage the Rams' defense is in certain positions? Granted, they have the best pass rusher in the NFL, which is huge, and they've got some other pieces, but they've got a lot of holes. The Baltimore Ravens were a very good defense. They lost a lot of pieces. One of those pieces went to the Green Bay Packers. I think there are a handful of teams that I would be shocked if we were better than them, but I don't know that I can count to five. I mean, I I can. I can count to five. I can do it. I don't know if I can count five defenses that are guaranteed to be better, and that includes the Chicago Bears. They're going to be a good defense. They're probably going to be a top 10 defense. Are they going to be number one, number three, number five? I have no idea. Without Callahan, without Fangio, without Amos, adding nobody. Again, how many of these defenses got better? Did the Patriots get better? Did the Texans get better? Did the Rams get better? Did the Eagles get better? Did the Ravens get better? Not all of them did, and I would be willing to bet not one of them got better to the degree that the Packers did. And the Packers offense, you know, it getting better is largely going to depend on the chemistry between Aaron Rodgers and his teammates, the the wide receivers understanding what is being asked of them. But most of all, it's going to be LaFleur really turning this thing around. And believe it or not, as ridiculous as it sounds, the Green Bay Packers offense was graded as the ninth best offense in the NFL by PFF. Aaron Rodgers was still graded very highly. We have a very good running back. Devontae Adams is very, very good. I mean, there's there's certain people. It, it's not that surprising. It sounds ridiculous, but if you're just looking at the players, Devontae Adams, David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Brian Balaga, Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, it's not a bad offense. It didn't come together like it was supposed to, but looking at PFF and their grade, looking at the players, it's not that surprising they were already top 10. Take those players, improve the offensive line, improve the wide receivers as they take a, a, a second-year step, could they be a top-five offense? Yes, of course they can. Are they going to be the Rams and the Chiefs and the Saints? I don't know. The Chiefs probably aren't going to be quite as good. They lost their two biggest playmakers. Uh, their, their stud quarterback is going into the second year. We'll see if he continues to get better, if he regresses. The Rams are you know, likely losing their running back. I don't know. We'll see. I would say that the, the, the upside... This is coming from a fan, and I'm not saying I would ever put money on this, but the upside is a team that is a top-five offense and a top-five defense. And that's not me just making up random nonsense. That's me just saying if guys can play to their full potential, that is what will happen. And by guys, I'm talking about the coaches as well. If Matt LaFleur can deliver what is expected of him, 
as if Aaron Rodgers can deliver what is expected of him, if Devontae Adams and those guys, as well as the young guys, can step up and do what is expected of them based on their abilities, not just, you know, if they could randomly be elite even though they're kind of trash. You know, this isn't me talking about the 2018 Packers defense saying, man, I tell you what, if, you know, imagine if, if Clay Matthews and Nick Perry and Kentrell Bryce could really just, mm, man, just think about it, how awesome Kentrell Bryce and HaHa Clinton Dix are going to be this year. Like if just randomly out of nowhere they become elite, like how crazy. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying play up to what you are, what your potential is. That's all I'm saying. And I'm saying literally nothing else. Give me what you, Amos, give me what you did with the Bears. Preston and Zedarius, just give me what you did with the Ravens and the Redskins. That's it. I'm not asking for anything else. I don't want anyone to, I, I would like it, but I'm not expecting, nor should I expect you to be Khalil Mack, and we don't need you to be. Billy Turner, just just play up to your paycheck. Can you be a starting guard that is just good? Just don't be bad. Elton Jenkins, can you be a good guard? I'm not talking top 10. I'm not talking elite, although you might need to be top 10 to be good because there's a lot of bad guards in the NFL. But I'm just saying with an elite quarterback, with one of the best wide receivers in the NFL, with all the talent surrounding this offense and defense, I'm, I'm not being crazy saying at the very least top 10 should be an expectation. For the offense in particular, top 5 should be the goal. For the defense, top 10 should be, should be an expectation. I mean, the Titans were the ninth best defense last year. How many people even remember what the Titans did? How many people talked about the Titans' defense last year? The Saints were the seventh best. I mean, the Saints. It was... Who cares? Garbage. Get out of my face. So, anyways, again, we'll, we'll have to see. The Denver Broncos should be just absolutely steamrolled by the Packers in Lambeau Field. If they're not, it'll be interesting to see why not. And you gotta hope, first of all, try not to panic. Second of all, hope that this gets figured out as we get closer to the end of the year. Because these things do take time, right? As I've said several times, September football is preseason for the starters crazy stuff happens you know look at the Patriots they always start slow and then win a Super Bowl whatever we got to be patient and see but it would be nice to be able to see as soon as possible the potential of this team and again that potential is a top five offense top 10 defense I shouldn't even say potential that that should be the expectation to an Aaron Rodgers Matt LaFleur led offense and a Mike Pettin slash that entire roster defense the expectation is top five offense top 10 defense the upside is top five offense, top five defense. I'm not going to push it anymore with the offense because there's some crazy offenses out there right now. But anyways, I got to go to work. You folks, enjoy to the best of your abilities this Monday. I will, as always, talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.